So chapter 6. Well, the book of Daniel, it's a book about tests. It's a book of tests. It's got like going from one test to another to another. Has anybody been, part, been through some tests lately? Right? Well, this is what the book of Daniel is all about. I remember when I was back in primary school. And I remember um, we had the choir for Christmas. So I'm trying to bring Christmas into this message. Right? There's a choir for Christmas. And all my mates said, hey, we should join the choir. I thought, yeah, let's all join the choir. So I thought we'd go along. And I had no idea that there's auditions. I thought, who auditions for a choir? It's a school choir, right? You just put your name in. And so you go in there, and it's the individual auditions. And, you know, as a little kid, you know, especially myself, I was petrified, you know. You're walking in, you just you by yourself get caught in, and then they start pressing the keys on the piano, and they want you to, to like, sing a key to their piano. And I'm like, what am I, a piano? <laughs> and so anyway, it came to... Um, came to who made the Christmas choir, right? Who made the Christmas choir? And um, all my mates made it except for me, right? And then they asked me, Ant, you didn't make the choir. Didn't you audition? I said, no, nah, I didn't audition for that. Who wants to audition for a stupid choir? <laughs> you know, what am I, a piano? And uh, there's a reason why we don't have a choir here at church. There's a reason why we don't have a Christmas choir here at church. And there's a reason why we never will. No, just kidding. Just kidding. That's, that's not the reason. At all. We, we may have a choir, who knows. But if you're looking for a subtitle for today's message, it is Passing the Test. Passing the Test. I mean, how do you recover when you've been told that you're not good enough? I mean, how do you recover from that? Especially during Christmas. A lot of things come in Christmas, right? You've got, you've got the pressure. Pressure of buying presents for your children. Or if you're part of a big extended family, you've got the pressure of buying presents for your children. You're, and, you're, you're, and then your sister's children, your brother's children, if you're part of this kind of family, you've got all this pressure to buy all these presents, right? And then, and then, then once you buy all the presents, you've got to buy the food, you get a big piece of pork that's going to feed everyone, some chicken, and, and you've got all this pressure of buying food. And then you've got like, you've got the rent due, you've got like all of a sudden, why aren't the fitness is due? Why is it due at this time? You've got to pay the rent due. And we feel the pressure. Right, and we feel the pressure of trying to trying to be there, and and, and, and you you just you want to make sure your children have a great Christmas, or you want to make sure you have a great Christmas with your friends and family. You can feel the pressure, or maybe you, your pressure is that you're all alone. Maybe there is no one else, and you wish you had those pressures, but your pressure that you're you're all alone, and there's no one there but you. And you sometimes we can feel like, well, maybe maybe I, I got something wrong in my life. Maybe this, uh, maybe I did something wrong, and maybe that's why I'm here. And we have all these. These, these kind of thoughts, thinking that, that maybe I'm not good enough. I mean, how do we recover from that when we feel that we're not good enough? We're not matching up to expectations of our family, expectations of our own expectations. How do we recover from that? How do we recover when the doctor tells us that the news isn't great? How do we recover from that? Or we hear a loved one and, 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 the, and the doctor's announcement isn't good. How do we recover from that? Or maybe you've lost everything that you work for. How do you recover from that? Or maybe your marriage is breaking up or relationship is breaking up. How do we recover from that? What I love about the Bible, the Bible is full of people just like you and I who struggle and who go through exactly the same things that we do. They go after setback, after setback, after setback. But what I love about the Bible, Bible always shows us the way out. And, I, and, and you know the, the best way out is by following Jesus. And we can see Jesus in the book of Daniel as we begin to make our way through there. And, and we're in chapter 6, and Daniel 5 ended with the Babylonian Empire, empire crumbling, with the Persian, the, the, the Medes and the Persian came, and they, and they, they captured the city. And, the, and Cyrus the Great 
king of the Persian Empire, he puts, puts this guy called Darius, Darius the Mede, to rule over the Babylonian, what's left of the Babylonian Empire. Now, when we think of this name Darius, there, there are three Dariuses in our Bibles, right? And all three are different Dariuses. It's, it's really interesting. And when it comes to this Darius that we find in Daniel chapter 6, it's, it, it, there isn't much information we know, and many scholars believe that Darius is not actually a name, but it's a title. Because Darius means Lord King. That's what Darius means. Darius or Darius, depends how you say it. I had a friend at school, one of my best friends, his name is Darius. We used to call him Darius until we got to high school and it became cool to call him Darius. So we, now we call him Darius. Darius, if you're watching, and you're awesome. In fact, my good friend Darius, he's the one that, that led me along to the Lord. So as when I think of Darius, I think of my good mate Darius. Darius, Darius to me. So who is it? We're unsure who this Darius is or whoever he is. We know that he was put in charge of the Babylonian city under King Cyrus the Great, the ruler of the Persian Empire. So here we go. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdoms 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And if you're wondering what a satrap is, a satrap is, is an administrator over a region. So you've got this Babylonian empire and it's split over 120 regions and you've got these satraps who administer these regions. And over them, three presidents. How many presidents? Three presidents, of whom Daniel was one of them. So you've got these three presidents. One of them is Daniel. Daniel, okay? To whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. So, so their job was really, the, the, the satraps was to collect collect the taxes for the king, and then the presidents will, take the, will distribute the money amongst the king, make sure the king has enough to rule, rule the empire, in fact, have a lot more to rule over. So they're in charge of the money purse and make sure that it's being administered well. Then, verse 3, Then this, this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. I love that. There's, an excellent, there's something different about this Daniel. We've got these other administrators, but, but Darius, there's something different about this, Daniel. There's an excellent spirit within him. You know, the, the biblical writers are trying to um, do this, this view that what was different about him was the Holy Spirit that lived inside of him, the Spirit of God that was upon Daniel's life. And it distinguished him amongst the other presidents and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Right? So Daniel was just one, well, he was one president of three. So now the king was like, well, there's something different about this, Daniel. In fact, I'm going to put you in charge of all of them. These other presidents will come under you. Will come under you. There's something different about you. He was a man of good reputation. We saw this last week. Man of good reputation. Do people say the same thing about you? Are you a person of good reputation? Do people who do not know God trust you? Do they trust you? Because when the Spirit of God is in you, there's something you should, be, you should stand out wherever you are. You should be a person of integrity. This is what the Spirit of God does within our lives. When we, when we continue this, when we submit before God, we can become people of integrity. I remember working at the Auckland International Airport back when I was at the Mount Centre there, and, and uh, I remember going on a break with one of the Air New Zealand reps. We were off on a, on a smokeover break. I remember walking along, and, I, and I'd have been a follower now for, for a couple of years, and, and I remember walking there, and, he, and he'll say to me, there's something different about you. There's something different about you. I mean, you, you, don't, you don't get... You don't get angry. You, you don't crumble under pressure. There's, there's, there's something different about you. And, and this is the thing. When, when you are a follower of God, you're, that something about you stands out. But if your life looks no different to everyone else, 
There's something wrong with your relationship with God. Your relationship with God should make you begin to, to not compromise your standard, to stand firm and love well. And this is the story of Daniel. This is why, why the book of Daniel is so important to, to many believers throughout the millennia. Verse 4. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could not find no ground for complaint or any fault. He was beyond reproach. Because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Why are two presidents trying to bring down Daniel? Number one, Daniel was trustworthy. He was of good reputation. And the king was going to make him in charge of these other two presidents. And the other two presidents didn't like that. And two, you get a sense of corruption in the air. Because what was their job? Their job was, was, the, was in charge of the, uh, of the money purse, right? Of, of bringing in. And, and, and you get a sense that they want to line their pockets. And all the other set traps that come under them, they'll, if, you, if you're in with us, we'll line your pockets as well. Let's, we can get ourselves rich. But, but with Daniel as being one of the prisoners, well, actually, we can't do that because Daniel was a man of integrity. They knew they, can't, they couldn't steal any money from the king's kingdom with, with Daniel there. So they have to get Daniel out of the way. Because if he, won't, if he won't roll off us, the only way to do is get rid of him. And this is corruption. He was a man of integrity. What's integrity? Integrity is what you do when no one else is watching. Right? That's what integrity is. So if, you, if you're in charge of money, what's your integrity like? If you're in charge in, of supplies or things, you know, what is your integrity like? Do people in your, in, in your business, do people in your workplace, people in your family, do they trust you? Because when you have the Spirit of God upon you, come on, it should cause you to, to live a life that's beyond reproach. Verse 5, Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Right? Because Daniel was a man known who did not compromise his faith. And he would have been famous for that. They would have remembered the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And how they, wouldn't, how they wouldn't bow to any idol and they wouldn't compromise their faith. And how Daniel, the story of Daniel um, not, not bowing down and eating the forbidden food. And they would know this strongly about Daniel's life as he proven in his life. See, are you known as a person who doesn't compromise your faith? Who doesn't just go along with what everyone else is doing? Or do you, do you stand firm and love well in a society of compromise around you? Verse 6. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom. How many presidents were there? There was three. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors have all agreed. We've all agreed on this. Have they? We've all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. So here we have deception. They're deceiving the king. Because we know not, not, all the, not all the presidents are in on this. It's, apparent, it's, it's quite apparent that Daniel has no idea what's going on. So he, he has no idea. So the king has been deceived. Verse 8. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the documents and injunction. Now the trap is set, right? That's it. They knew all they needed was one day. But, but by, by assigning a, a wider time frame, made their actions less conspicuous, right? 
Like, how do we trap him without making it look like we're trying to trap Daniel? Let's make it for 30 days, but we only need one day because we know we can just get him on one day. Let's make it for, for one day. But it also makes, gives us a sense that King Darius, he doesn't really pay attention. Because if, he's, if someone comes up to it's almost like they say, hey, come, come, King, just sign this paper. Is everything good? Okay. All the, all the satraps are in agreement and all the, all, all the presidents, but there's only 12 views. Where's, oh, okay, I'll just sign it. Like he, he doesn't pay attention to what he's signing. And we've got to be careful if you're in leadership or a team leader. Be careful what you sign. Make sure you read what you sign. Right? Verse 11. Oh, verse, nine, verse 10. Let's read. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows and his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he had done previously. As he had done every single day. As he had done when he first came to Babylon when he was just a teenager. And here he is as as someone in his 80s. And he's doing exactly as what was practiced in his life. Now I love this. You know, What's your prayer life like? What's your prayer life like? If, you, if you're wondering, well, how do I become a man like Daniel? How do I become a man that, that's beyond reproach? It all starts on our knees. It all starts uh, when no one else is watching. And it's you before God. When you invite God into your life, that's when we begin to see breakthrough. And sometimes we struggle all the time. We go, Lord, why are we going through these things? You know, sometimes, we, you know, when's the last time you were on your knees before God? And how consistent are you? And when we begin to re- look at the life of Jesus, Jesus has regularly went away to pray, Right? And what was Daniel praying? And Daniel was, most scholars believe that Daniel was praying the Shema, found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And, and, and they would pray this prayer six times a day, the most sacred prayer in Judaism, in the morning, at noon, and at nighttime, in the evening. Right? And here he is praying the Shema towards Jerusalem, as we read in 1 Kings and so forth, towards Jerusalem, because that's where, God's, that's where God was, in, in, in his temple. That's where the temple was. And, 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 that's, that's, and now he's in a strange land, and now he's praying towards where God was. Verse 11, then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Oh, oh, surprise. Look, here at day one, straight away we found him praying. Then they came near and said before the king, concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within, these, within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast. I really love how he said, the thing stands fast, whatever it is that I signed. Whatever that thing was, yeah, yeah if I signed it, yeah, of course it stands fast. Whatever that, which means he has no idea what he signed. Yeah, what, that thing stands, whatever it is. It stands, and, and according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked, verse 13. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah. And what we don't realize, this is a racial slur. This was an anti-Semitic slur Towards Daniel, you know, the, you know Daniel. He's been there. He's been there for seventy years, right? He's hardly a foreigner. He's been in Babylon for seventy years, but he's not part of us. He's not one of us. He's still an outsider. You, you, you can live here as long as you want. You, you, you can know our ways, but you're still not part of us. Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O King. All the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. We need to understand Daniel didn't pray in protest of an edict. Oh, what, they, what, they did what? He signed what? Oh, that's it. I'm going to go and I'm going to pray because I'm in protest of what, he, what the king had done. He never did that. Why did he go and pray? Because it's what he did. 
He's a man who didn't compromise his faith. It wasn't in protest. The only reason he was brought before the king's attention is because he was dobbed in. There was no, he didn't have a protest. That's it, I'm going to, in the middle of the square, I want everyone to see that I'm protesting. No, he didn't do that. Do you know who I am? I'm, I'm one of the prisoners, but I'm above. In fact, the king's going to put me above the prisoners. So I'm, I'm not going to bow to what he said. But he prayed, prayed in this quiet time, as he did daily. He prayed, and I just want to just note here, of all the government mandates that are, that are happening towards us and against here in New Zealand, we not once have been forbidden to pray to God. It's not like what's happening in the book of Daniel. We've never been forbidden to worship God or pray towards Him, so this is not the same thing. So, we, so, so we've just got to be careful. We can't make the Bible say something that it clearly doesn't say. Okay, here we go. Verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and said in his mind to deliver Daniel... And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Because he realized, oh my goodness, did I sign that? You mean, Daniel didn't know? You, you told me that all the... Pre- but why would... Then he realized, I've been duped. I should have read the thing before I signed it. Right? Verse 15. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king... So, see, they all come in agreement. So a set, the presidents and a couple of these satraps come... Because they've conspired. This is conspired against Daniel. Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians. So now they're pressing the king. This is the law, isn't it? This is the law. That no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. Come on, are you a man of your word? You're just a new king. You want to prove? You want to prove that you're a strong king? Right? Because the king could have. The king could have put an escape clause or he could, have, he could have issued a counter law. As we read in the book of Esther, with the Persian king, King Xerxes, right? He writes a, he changes the law when the, when the Jews were, were the, go destroy the Jews and he, he writes a counter law saying, oh, they can now protect themselves, right? He could have did that, but he didn't. Why? Most scholars believe the reason why he didn't is because he's a new king and he, wants to, he needs to show his strength and power. And these guys knew it and they duped him. Verse 16, then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, I love this, I love what the king says to Daniel, what Darius says to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Right? See, the king would have been well aware of what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because that story, something like that, something that, that miraculous, that, those stories travel. And people would be well aware of this of these guys in the fire, but they didn't burn up, but there was a son of God amongst them. <coughs> I love what he says. If God could do it for you, if he could do it before, he can do it again. I love that. And this is something we need to understand. Whatever you've been through, maybe you're, you're feeling the pressure of Christmas. You're struggling. Come on, we need to remember when God has blessed you before. And if God has blessed you before, he's going to bless you again. If he did it before you back then, he's going to do it for you again. Will you continue to hold on in faith? As Daniel does. Let's go to verse 17. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords. I love this. Notice, it wasn't just his seal, because when you put a seal on, on something, only one who can break that seal is the person who put the seal on, especially the king. But he just doesn't just put his seal on, but he gets the lords. Those who conspired. Okay, okay, you, you fool me, but you know what? This isn't just on me. It's on you as well. Put your seals on here as well. You, you're getting me to condemn this, this innocent man to death? Come on, it's on you. You seal it as well. You're going to be held accountable for what, what happens to this man. 
and they seal it, as, and they put their signet on that, that nothing may be changed or concerning Daniel. Verse 18. Then the king went to his palace, and he spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, meaning there was no, he didn't want any entertainment. No, no, uh, um, he was fasting, and, he, and, he, and slept, fled from him. This is the opposite to uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. If, if, you're from, if, you're, if you remember chapter 2, right, when he hears about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not bowing down, he goes into a rage. But King Darius is the opposite. When he hears this, he's sorrowful, and, and he goes in prayer. And, and I believe he was praying. He's praying. He's like, I've never prayed to, to the God of Daniel, but I'm praying if you've delivered these. Uh, I don't know what it's like, but I can just imagine this is what he's doing. He's deeply troubled at the prospect of killing a righteous man and losing his most trusted advisor. Verse 19, Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, because your God is famous. We've heard about your God. As your God, whom you have served continually, you have lived a life where we see it in your lifestyle, no matter what this society tries to push against you, you continue to stand firm and you love the world. And in the society of compromise, you continue to stand firm. We've seen you as you have served them continually, being able to deliver you from the lions. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. Have you, have you ever been accused of something falsely? And now you're being judged for it, you know. And the person who executes whatever it is upon you, would you reply when, when, you, when, they, when they find out that actually you're innocent? Do you reply to them nicely? I love what Daniel, he's so polite. He didn't go, well, because of you, you unrighteous king. He, he just said, he's still humble before God. He's in the lion's den. O king, live forever. My God, I love this. My God, my Elohim, sent his angel. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. I'm an innocent man. I personally believe that this was the angel of Yahweh. This was the angel of Yahweh that came to shut the mouths of the lions. This was the angel of the Lord, the second person of the Trinity. He was in the burning bush before Moses. He was in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he was with Daniel in the lion's den. Come on, and he's with you right now. And you're thinking, with all that's going on around me, I don't see him, I don't feel him. In fact, Christmas has so, been so hard for me lately. He's supposed to be with me. I feel like I'm in the fire right now, but I feel like I'm in it by myself. Where were you, God? Where were you when I needed you all along? Have you ever felt like that before? Have you ever felt like God has abandoned you? Have you ever been there before? I've been there. God, I've served you faithfully. Where are you? This is happening against my family. This is happening against my finances. This is happening against me. Where were you? Come on, but if you keep I love the story of Daniel. If you keep holding on to Jesus, you may not sense him at the moment, but when you get through to the other side and then you look back, then you realize he was with you all along because you're never alone. So whenever you feel like you're alone, that's when we need to get on knees. Lord, I need you right now. 
I know you're here, but I don't sense you because of the trouble seems to consume me. But I come before you and I repent, Lord, I need you right now. And when you do, he will fill your life. He will fill your life. No matter what's going on around you, you'll begin, begin to stand firm and love well in an environment of compromise. Verse 23. Then the king was exceedingly glad. The king was like, oh my goodness. Exceedingly glad. And he commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him. He he was in the den with hungry lions because what they do, they wouldn't feed them to make make them more ferocious. So he's with the ferocious beasts. Instead of being consumed by the beasts, he sleeps amongst the beasts without being consumed by them, right? If you notice the story, the, the book of Daniel, there's a theme, the theme of beasts. We can allow the beast to consume us and we can become like the beast. We can be consumed by the beast. And then as we get into Daniel chapter 7, and we've got the beast coming against, and as you can see this theme coming over and over again, but Daniel is the picture of a new Adam. A new Adam who passes the test. Unlike Adam who, who took bite of the forbidden fruit, Daniel passes the test in Daniel chapter 1 and wouldn't eat the forbidden food. And now, just like Adam in the Garden of Eden, he sleeps amongst the beast. But unlike Adam, he passes the test. But he's not in Eden, he's in Babylon. He's in Babylon, meaning wherever you are. You, you may not be... <laughs> You might think, I don't feel like I'm in Eden right now. But wherever God's presence is, God's presence is in you, you carry Eden with you. God is with you. He'll bring heaven right here to earth, right where you are, into your workplace, into your family environment. Just like Daniel, he brings it into Babylon. Literally to the den of the lions. And the book of Daniel, it's a book that encouraged Jews in the second temple period when the, uh, when the Romans came and invaded. The book of Daniel has, has inspired not just Jews, but Christians, believers, believers of God throughout a millennia who find ourselves uh, under immense condemnation from the society. We, we, we constantly, no matter where we find, where we find believers of God, we've had the pressure coming against us. And the book of Daniel has encouraged us to, how do I stand strong? Without compromising my face, but loving well. Loving well, though condemning anyone, but loving them, but standing firm. And this is what the book of Daniel is all about, which is why I felt God laid this on our heart to bring this right through to Christmas season. The book of Daniel. Verse 24, And the king commanded, and all those men who has maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. But it wasn't just them. It wasn't just the men who accused Daniel. The Bible goes on to say that their children and their wives and before they reached the bottom of the den, just to prove that the lions were tame, that these were the same lions that Daniel was with, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. And when we read this in today's context, it seems extreme. It seems, I mean, it's, if, even for me, I'm reading this, I say, oh my goodness, children and wives, it seems extreme, but we, we need to understand in the ancient Near Eastern context, this was their way of preventing any future retaliation by the children whose father's been executed. This is the way they did it. Because this is what happens is that the children, children will come back and revenge and, 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 and cause a rebellion. 
And so in order for them to stop that, they wiped out the whole lineage. So there's no retaliation. That's why a king who came, so if a king gets assassinated, they assassinate the whole family. Right? And this is what they did. And it seems for a horrified, but also, also it's, in their Eastern culture, it's when someone does something, it's just, not, it's just not an individual thing, but it's a corporate thing. And we, in our Western society, we're so individualistic that we hear something like this, like we cringe because we just think about ourselves. But, but, but when we think of ourselves today, when we think about sin, we need to understand something that when, when we sin personally, we've got to stop thinking about me as an individual because we can become so selfish. Oh, I'm just sinning. But we have no idea the impact of the love of loved ones around us. We don't just, when we sin, we impact so many people around us. You just got to look at broken marriages and broken relationships and, and the collateral damage is heartbreaking. Verse 25, Then King Darius wrote to all the people, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. Oh, that sounds like a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And his dominion shall be to the end. This is all pointing towards the birth of Christ. The Christmas story. This is what the Christmas story is all about. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders that a virgin shall give birth to a child. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Right? This is the same Cyrus that decreed that the Jews could return home way back in 538 BC. And we see this account in the book of Ezra. So this, these verses, it closes off the, the narrative portion of the book of Daniel. Chapters 1 to chapter 6 is the narrative portion. And it closes this off that the book of Daniel is a book of tests. Test after one test to another. Book of tests. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for me? It means that if you're being through a test, has anybody been through a test? It means that if you're being through a test, when things seem to have gone from bad to worse, does anybody, does anybody know what I'm talking about? When things seem to go from bad to, to worse, but you remain faithful anyway. You ever feel like giving up? You ever feel like throwing in the towel? But you continue to stand firm even when it didn't make sense. Even when people hated you, but you prayed for them anyway. You need to understand something. There's something more dangerous than a person who's been as low as, as low as they can go. There's nothing more dangerous than a prayer of a person that has hit rock bottom, but continues to be faithful towards God. Come on, I've lost everything. Have you ever been there before? I've already been embarrassed. I've already been through trouble. I've already been humiliated. I've already been talked about, laughed at, betrayed. I already had my feelings hurt. But the prayers of the righteous avail of much. Come on. You need to understand that there's power in prayer of someone who's been through some testing. If you've been through some testing, there's power in your prayer. There's power in your prayer. 
Someone who doesn't pay back evil for evil, who understands that two wrongs don't make a right. Come on, God listens to that kind of person. God listens to that kind of prayer. That someone who continues to remain faithful when everyone else has turned their back on them, but they continue to remain faithful. God listens to that kind of prayer. Where I don't need vengeance, all I need is Jesus. He's all I need. Jesus is the reason for the season. And if you find this Christmas season like it's choking you right now, come on, let's be like Daniel, who's down on his knees, said, Lord, I need you right now. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And I need you right now. Those who leave everything in God's hands will eventually see God's hand in everything. Those who leave everything in God's hand will eventually see God's hand in everything. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense, but Lord, I'm leaving it in your hands. I can't see my kids during this Christmas. I'm not allowed to see them, but I'm going to leave it into your hands. I can't seem to, to make rent, but, it does, I, but I'm going to leave it in your hand. And then when we begin to leave things in God's hands, come on, we'll eventually see God's hand in everything. Then when we get through on the other side, when we've been through some testing, we felt like we've been through the, anybody feel like we've been through the ringer? But when we get through stronger, we look back and I say, I thank God for all my troubles. I thank God for my hardships. I thank God for my, even when my car got taken away, I thank God. Because who I am today is all, the, all my trials that I've been through. And I thank God. See, we've got to stop being jealous of people in their winning season. So easy to get jealous of people in the winning season. Look, oh, look at them and their, their nice car, their nice house. They obviously haven't had any issues in their life. They're, you know, quite often we look at people and we think, oh, they've always had that. We've got to be careful of being jealous of people in their winning season because we have no idea what they've lost in their losing season. We have no idea what they've lost in the losing season. We've got to be careful that that we don't get bitter. We, don't, we need to guard our heart. The bitterness doesn't come in. Everyone else is getting a breakthrough. Everyone else's prayers are being answered, right? Like you're praying, you still find yourself at the bottom. Everyone else's prayers are being answered. Someone else is being healed. Someone, this person is getting healed. This person, why aren't I getting healed? We've got to be careful that bitterness doesn't come in to our life and resentment doesn't creep in. I remember when, um, oh, well, you know, I just think about me and Poro, you know, amazing wife on the keys. You know, God has blessed our family so much. And I'm thankful every single day of God's blessing. But we've traveled to China. We've walked the Great Wall of China. We've, we've seen the Great Mountains in Tibet. And we've spent quality time with our families on the Gold Coast. And we've seen the wonders, the majestic, the, majestic, the, the, the beauty <laughs> of Queenstown and Wanaka and Milford Sounds. We've been so blessed. But I remember after we'd done all our traveling, Puro got a message from a disgruntled person. Have you ever got a message from a disgruntled person before? Right? We've all been there. We'll get one. It's not nice when we get messages. And it's quite often we want to react. And this is what this person said. They said, they said that we spend too much time traveling and not enough time on things that really matters. This is what they said. You spend too much time traveling, not, not, not enough time on things that really matters. 
it's easy to get jealous of people in their winning season because they had no idea what we lost during our losing season. Sometimes I lose. You ever feel like that your losing season never stops? It's not just a month or two. It's like years, years. And you get through and you find yourself, God sets you up. Come on. Because you might be finding yourself in a losing season, but God is setting you up for a winning season. He's setting you up for winning, winning season. Do you ever thought that? Whatever you're going through right now, it's just a season. It's uncomfortable. It's not nice. I don't want things how it is right now. Come on. It's a season. You may be in a losing season, but God is setting up for winning season. I really believe that for our church. I really do. And, I, and I've struggled these last couple of years. But I really believe God is going to set us up for a winning season. I, I just remember we, we were on an anniversary in Queenstown. And I just remember feeling so overwhelmed. Because <laughs> we're, we're there, we're just at the top, we're looking at this majestic mountain. I felt overwhelmed. The reason why I felt overwhelmed, because it took me back to the beginning. And I just remembered as being this 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 young man at Mangare College and I'll see things on the news like Queenstown I'll see things like Australia Gold Coast and I looked at those things and I thought to myself I'll never attain any of that I'll never get to go to those places because what I see around me this is my lot in life and I remember thinking that and here we were we just walked the great wall of China and I walked with the most beautiful woman in the world come on You may be in a losing season, but God is setting you up for a winning season. Man, they thought they, they thought they had won. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. They thought they had won, but God was setting them up. God was setting them up because it was a setup. They, the devil, when Jesus was born in a manger, he said, what? The Messiah? Being born as a baby? This is easy. We can get this guy. And when Jesus was on the cross, the devil was rubbing his hands. Easy. And when they rolled the stone over his tomb, the devil began to dance a jig. He thought, oh, we've got this. But it was a setup. God was setting him up. Come on, because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is our hope. He is our peace. He's the lover of our soul. He loves you regardless. When everyone else turns their back on you, He never turns His back on you. Come on. You may be in a losing season right now, but God is setting you up for a winning season. He's setting you up. He loves you. He loves you right just as you are. You may not see it at the time, but when you get through onto the other side, you can look back. He was there all along. You weren't alone. You weren't by yourself. When you're at your lows, when you're in the fire, He was with you. When you're in the lion's den, He was with you. He was with Moses in the burning bush and He's with you right now. He loves you. Come on, let's declare.